Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. For the first time, nations across the globe agreed to a non-binding deal that would, quote, transition away from fossil fuels. Now, this happened after weeks of debate at COP28 in Dubai. That's the annual United Nations Climate Conference. And several high school environmental activists from the Chicago area were there as part of the group's It's Our Future. Now, that is a group that brings together youth activists in Chicagoland. Natasha Batia is a senior at Hinsdale Central High School. She was one of those students, and she joins us now. Hey, Natasha. Hi, everyone. Happy to be back. Past U.S. They've, they've targeted emissions, but not fossil fuels. So I'm curious your reaction to this proposed phase-out of things like oil and coal and natural gas. So the language is there on transitioning away from fossil fuels. And I just want to emphasize that this is the first time that fossil fuels have been mentioned in these sorts of like COP20, uh, COP um, deals. Um, it is progress. And I think it's important to know that like voices of activists and countries that have been, um, you know, advocating for a phase out of fossil fuels, those voices are important. And this is why we have reached the stage where fossil fuels are being incorporated into these deals. Um, I think it's also important to note, though, that it's a transitioning away from fossil fuels. However, it doesn't explicitly say that it is a phase out. Um, and then obviously there is a lot of uh, backlash right now going around this deal that it that there may be a lot of loopholes in the argument, um, in the agreement, excuse me. And that is also something that we have to know. So it is progress. It is a huge step forward, but it's something that we need to work together as a um, nation, as also just in general, as a, on the global level, to make sure that we are actually um, phasing out fossil fuels and then working towards that official language of phase out fossil fuels in future COP agreements. Mm-hmm. And Emirati oil executive led COP this year. What did you make of oil interests being represented at the conference. Yeah, so this was definitely another contentious issue with COP28 um, and the high amount of fossil fuel lobbyists. I think there were around 2,500 at the conference. Um, And this is a pretty big issue. Obviously, the phase out of fossil fuels, um, climate change as a issue in general needs a variety of voices, a variety of perspectives. It's a multifaceted issue and fossil fuels will have to be a part of um, fossil fuel companies will have to be a part of the solution because we need to phase out fossil fuels. But the issue is, do they need to be at the head of the table? Mm -hmm. We don't want fossil fuels obviously to be controlling the conversation because with their conflict of interest obviously they're looking out for profits shareholders as well and we can't have them dictating um essentially climate uh progress because it makes it much more difficult to have any sort of um, actual decisive meaningful action yeah you you got to see some of the debate firsthand when you went to panels at COP28 talking Mm -hmm. about the fossil fuel phase out, right? Tell us more about what you learned. I mean, and and whether you think that there was anything missing from the debate in your your view. Yeah, of course. So um, there were, we attended a lot of panels while we were at COP28. We attended a lot of negotiations as well. Um, I thought it was really 
interesting to see each country's perspective on the language when it relates to a fossil fuel phase out. Um, there were countries that we witnessed who unequivocally stated, we need a phase out of fossil fuels for our future. These were generally like the island nations mm -hmm. um, who faced like the harshest consequences of climate changes. And they said, for our future, we need to phase out fossil fuels. But then there were countries that also said, we don't will not accept a phase out of fossil fuels in the final decision make in the final agreement and that we want to focus on the emissions not necessarily the source of the emissions so it was really interesting to see this sort of like process of these countries like directly disagreeing with each other in the negotiation room um about this about the language yeah and what did you make uh, of that yeah so it was it was a little bit difficult, obviously, to witness and it was definitely frustrating, um, especially like looking at how long the negotiation process is, how slow it can be, um, especially so as youth, obviously, this is like our future. So we have this sense of urgency when it comes to the issue. So seeing how slow the progress is and the fact that it took us 30 years to get any sort of fossil fuel language at all from a cop agreement um is obviously too slow yeah and so the the urgency we need in the negotiation room really has to come from like youth voices and it needs to be more i can hear your your passion natasha you are also part of a panel called dear world leaders a message from youth Mm -hmm. yeah. What is your message to our federal leaders, especially President Biden? Yeah, so to federal leaders, I would say that we need more meaningful inclusion of youth voices. Youth need a seat at the table. So the EPA Youth Advisory Council, that's a good step in the right direction. We need advisory councils for all departments and have and youth need to be able to represent their voices in these big governmental environmental decisions. Um, obviously, legislation like the Inflation Reduction Act, um, these are huge pieces of climate legislation. They're huge wins, but we can't use them um, as, I guess, like a shield to avoid further action, like bold action, like, um, like declaring a climate emergency, um, and then obviously not approving further infrastructure for fossil fuels. I want to bring another voice into this conversation with us. Ryan Maida is the assistant principal at Natasha School, Hinsdale Central. Welcome, Ryan. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time and appreciate being here. Natasha, great job. Yeah, you've been listening along. Tell us more. What is it like hearing her speak about her experience at COP? You know what? It, it is amazing. It, it really is. Just, just trying to remember that this is a senior in high school that is representing herself and what she believes in, but also our, our community and our school out there. And just listening to her speak, her passion, her knowledge, um, it is it is super impressive. And yeah, we are really proud of her. And yeah. it, it's it's amazing um, when I heard her and the rest of the the youth on that panel speaking. I mean, it, it really hits home and, and shows, you know, what an impact somebody like Natasha could have. Right. And I don't know if it's because I'm, I'm a mom of teens myself, but I'm grinning from ear to ear just yeah. hearing her speak. <laughs> I agree. Putting myself back in my 17-year-old shoes, I right. cannot imagine being where she was and speaking how, how she speaks. And, and Ryan, amazing. the fact that she got to address world leaders about 
the pressing issue of climate. How does that feel? You know what? Um, again, it's just super impressive. Like we are proud of her and yeah, for her to have that stage in, in front of that audience, in front of the, our world leaders to, to really drive home her, her passion and her points and speaking on behalf of a lot of those that she's representing. Like, yeah, we are really proud of her. Natasha, did it feel to you in the moment, like the officials you talked with were listening to young people's messages? Um, I would actually say yes. The audience that we had in that the Dear World Leaders panel, um, we had Brenda Mallory, the chair of the White House um, Council on Environmental Quality, um, especially a uh, shout out to the U.S. Special Youth Envoy, um, Abby Finkenauer. She was an absolute um absolutely like very powerful in stating why youth voices matter and she was very passionate about including youth voices and youth representation in the decision making process so we spoke with her extensively on how we could do that and steps we could take in empowering youth voices and um, I really felt like our audience was listening and was taking our words to heart so that was something that was very empowering and um, something that I hope is a kind of like a a good um, vision for the future where youth voices are listened to, respected, and then actions are taken upon what we say. Natasha, I'm curious what questions you have for Mr. Maida. Are there things you would like to see at your high school? Yeah, so um, I guess one of my main questions would be while we were at COP28, one of the main things that came up was the need for climate education. Um, oh, obviously on the Dear World Leaders panel on a federal level, but we also talked about how important it is to have it um, uh, while we're working to have it on a federal level to start incorporating it at schools on a local level. Um, the It's Our Future uh, Youth Delegation was actually also on a panel, so we spoke on um, climate literacy and its importance in bringing about climate justice. Um, so I'd be curious to hear on um, what you see the potential of climate um, education being at Hinsdale Central. Yeah, great points, Natasha. And I, and I think you and I have talked about this a little bit before. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Natasha, she did introduce me to some of the leaders of the It's Our Future organization. And uh, we, we were actually, you know, in a meeting together, Natasha, myself, as well as um, two of the leaders of It's Our Future in, in the area. And we um, you know, they did share with us, they're working with a few other local school districts about um, implementing sustainability policies within their districts. So um, they did share with me some of what they're trying to do in these other districts so we could take a look at that and just figure out a ways that we could implement that in in, uh, in our district here. But um, but yeah, I, th- I think, you know, the big point that Natasha brings forth is the educating our, our students, all right? Uh, many of them... Um, you know, we, we do have a, a big set of them that are um, into the climate change and into improving, you know, different um, sustainability practices within the community and at, at our school. But I think we need to get others a voice and further that education. And um, I would be looking to people like Natasha, like our Ecology Club, um, the sponsor of the Ecology Club, to figure out ways that we can do this, you know, within our building um, and working with our other department chairs and our other in our departments of just 
putting that into the curriculum, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it be in our science classes, in our environmental science um, classes, in our civics classes and social studies, um, just figuring out different ways we could get these messages out to youth and to give them a voice. I think um, one of the big points in, in watching the panel on that, the dear leaders, the dear world leaders message from youth and listening to Natasha yeah. and some of the others, um, you know, Natasha brought up the point of when she was a part of the the Greentown Climate and Equity Conference, and um, many of the youth there, eight, like uh, eighty out of a hundred, they felt that they did not have a voice, and that um, you know it made no difference that what world leaders were not listening, and it, it's just kind of it's really disheartening to hear that um, people that are passionate about it that feel that they don't make a difference in it. So I, I think we would continue to look for ways to push that education and give them a voice within our building. Uh, Natasha, what else was super impressive was that you were on a youth panel discussing the effects that um, climate change can have on young people's mental health. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, so one of the major takeaways from that panel was that there are so many emotions when it comes to climate. Um, there's emotions, there's grief, sadness, there's frustration, anger, um, there's climate guilt, and how important it is to look at these emotions and to acknowledge them. Um, and whether that be from peers acknowledging them or from adults acknowledging the um, feelings that their students or that their children may have when it comes to climate, that acknowledgement portion is really important. Um, another thing that is really crucial, another crucial piece of this conversation was actually we discussed social media mm. and how social media can have a can be really powerful when it comes to getting across awareness of climate. It can be really powerful and also getting uh, youth to have a voice. It's accessible. People can take action on it easily. And um, it can also be really powerful in connecting people in the environmental movement. It can also unfortunately negatively impact youth mental health when it comes to climate when you see that when you start like doom scrolling and you see disaster after disaster after disaster and that just leads to a lot of climate doomism yeah. and feelings of like oh like why should we even try because obviously you know we won't have an impact because there's already like we're already doomed there's already too much going on we've already lost too much yeah um, has some of that impacted you or your peers personally um i'd say it's definitely impacted um my my peers and obviously like those feelings of like grief and sadness um and frustration like i feel those as well in this movement um, for me, what really helps me get through them is to look at the action that I'm taking and see, show myself that like I'm working towards a better future and also to look at the positive climate wins that we're having, celebrating the wins. So like the COP agreement, um, looking at that obviously as a, as a, that we need to make more progress, but also recognizing it as a win, um, recognizing things like the Inflation Reduction Act. So there are obviously like feelings of grief and loss. I think for peers, um, I've seen it kind of be used as a reason to not take action, which is really um, sad and it's really devastating. And it's something that I constantly like work against mm -hmm. is that when people are like, when I tell people like, oh, you should, you should take action. You should come join this environmental movement. And they say, well, what's the point? Um, you know, like scientists have already said it's too late. 
Um, that's something that I really have to work against and say like, no, we can shape our future. We can make change um, and our voices do matter. Ryan, a few months ago here on Reset, we interviewed a therapist here in the Chicago area. She was working to advance something that's known as climate aware therapy. Here's a little bit of her talking about climate grief. It's about losing our world as we know it. Loss of nature, loss of species, loss of the ability to go outside and enjoy the natural world. For example, in Chicago, we recently had the worst air quality in the world, and there was this red haze, and you know, mm-hmm. and nobody could go out. So there's grief related to noticing that things are changing. There's also grief related to the changes in our lives in terms of you know, I may not be able to have children. Life is a lot more fragile than I ever thought. Mm -hmm. The world is more tragic than I thought. My children face a very scary world where things could break down. I mean, what is it like for you to hear that climate grief might be another thing to take into consideration when you're thinking about young people and their mental health? You you know, it's eye-opening, to be honest with you. Um, I, I think when we think about all the things our, our high school students, our teenagers are dealing with and the stresses that they have, that is not one that, you know, normally will jump out to us. So I, I for me, um, you know, it's enlightening and it's, it, it is eye-opening, you know, we, the, our, our teenagers are right now and, and our high school students are dealing with, a, you know, a lot. They're dealing with academic, the high academic load, athletics, extracurriculars, um, you know, in and outside of school, family, fitting in socially, um, you know, they have a lot on their plates and we do see, um, we do see a stress level at, at, at an all-time high right now. And we are, you know, we're, we're putting in ways to try to help them deal with that and mm-hmm. teach them how to, um, you know, gain skills and knowledge to help them deal with that, those, those emotions. But, um, but yeah, I, I don't think many of us think of, that climate aspect of it as well. So it, it really is enlightening to hear about that and and take that into account too, the how we could help them manage those thoughts and feelings as well. So there aren't currently any services or programs that directly address the way that, you know, climate change can affect young people's mental health, but it sounds like you would consider adding some down the line. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I think it's just something for our related services, our, our social workers, our, our school psychologists, our counselors to um, to kind of, you know, gain more knowledge on to figure out how we can support students when it with, with that as well. Yeah. Natasha, you say action and community can be antidotes to the anxiety and grief that climate change can cause. How so? Yeah. So um, another, obviously, another thing that really helps is the thing that you mentioned is this community. Um, So I really found that through It's Our Future, which is a community of youth activists um, from across the Chicago area. And that is, it's a really great community, again, of voices where we can, I know I can go to anyone from that organization and we can say like, oh my God, this just happened. Let's talk about it. And that really helps knowing that you have a group of peers who are going to support you um, and who understand and know exactly what you are feeling. That is really powerful. And I highly suggest that this is one of the best ways to kind of deal with these feelings of climate loss and climate Mm -hmm. grief. Um, 
And that is really one of the things that I would highlight and highly suggest, especially for youth who are very vulnerable to the, um, to the effects of um, climate change on their mental health. Well, while we have you two together, any words of encouragement for Natasha Ryan? Yeah, Natasha, thank you for what you're doing. Um, I'm, I'm really um, looking forward to actually sitting down with you, hearing more about your your experience and different things we could do within the building, try to tackle that low-hanging fruits first and then look bigger picture. And then, um, and really, I would just say to you, Natasha, yeah, we are very proud of you. And I, you know, I know you will, but yeah, keep doing what you're doing. Keep being that voice for our community and um, anything we could do to support you, please, my door is always open. Thank you so much. We've been speaking with Natasha Batia, a senior at Hinsdale Central High School, and Ryan Maida, the school's assistant principal for operations. Thank you both so much for joining us. Thank Thank you both. We appreciate your time. Let's continue getting reflections from COP28. Katie Stab is a high school senior at Oak Park River Forest High School, and she was also part of the It's Our Future youth delegation. Now, Katie's been researching the ecological impact of oil pipelines. And while at the COP28, she got to meet indigenous activists in Canada who are working against pipelines and putting forth a vision for climate action. And she joins us now to tell us all about it. Hi, Katie. Welcome to Reset. Hi, thank you. So overall, tell us, what was it like to be at COP28? It was amazing. It was really a lot. Just so many people, uh, so many interesting events. Yeah. Were you overwhelmed at all with just the sheer amount of people, to your point? Oh, yeah, definitely. (laughs) Um, Well, I find it fascinating, your focus here. You you look into oil in pipelines. Talk more about that. Um, so my research project is investigating the impacts of diluted bitumen, which is an unconventional oil product uh, carried by pipelines in the Midwest and Canada. Um, I'm investigating what it, um, the effects it would have on wild rice growth in case of a spill. Really? So what made you interested in that, in, in that particular lens? Um, so I was watching a presentation about a year ago, actually, Um, with some citizen scientists who were investigating how um, these pipelines uh, impacted the land and the wild rice beds. And I wondered what would happen if the pipelines spilled. So like they were focusing more on the construction side. Mm -hmm. And I was, I wondered like, what if the oil product spilled? And I started doing, uh, once I started my research, it seemed like this, uh, diluted bitumen had not been as studied as other oil products. So a lot of its effects are not yet known. So that was my gap in the literature. Oh, that is so smart. I'm thinking of all the documentaries I've watched that have never made me feel compelled to like go, you know, do the research and, and dig into the thing. So I'm kudos to you for that alone. So what are some of your big takeaways then from the research? Well, in my experiment, I... Um, did various concentrations of diluted bitumen in sediment and grew wild rice plants in these different concentrations. Um, And I found that uh, the highest concentration, um, the plants had a lower like shoot and root size and mass. While you were in Dubai, you also went to a panel of Canadian First Nations activists 
who they were presenting a climate action plan. So tell us more about that. Yeah, so I, I believe that they were part of the Assembly of First Nations. So there was like an elder, a uh, former uh, grand chief and a youth who are on the Assembly of First Nations um, talking about the group's climate plan, um, which I thought was really interesting because it uh, it tied together both like the cultural, spiritual, and like scientific aspects of nature and climate. Um, and not surprisingly, the indigenous communities are the ones who are, you know, the farthest ahead in environmental protection. Mm-hmm. So those those parts of the climate action plan stuck with you? Yeah, for sure. And even just like having one that's so comprehensive, because I think a lot of countries and governments certainly don't. To that end, did this impact how you think about climate goals here in Chicago or in the U.S.? Um, it, it made me hopeful to see that there's things like this out there so that maybe they can be used as like a template or inspiration for other uh, municipalities. You also got to interview Judy Wilson, who's an indigenous activist opposing the expansion of the Trans Mountain Pipeline, stretching from Edmonton, Alberta, to the west coast of British Columbia. What was it like for you to meet her? It was really great to get to talk to her and hear her perspective on the Climate Action Plan as well as the pipelines. Um, It really underscored the impact of the pipelines, the fossil fuel industry, and all of the infrastructure that comes along with it. And it really just showed that, like, the research that I'm doing that other uh, scientists are doing, it's not just, like, words on a page, that these have real impacts on the ecosystems and the communities. Absolutely. Sum this up for us. Were were you able to connect your research to the work that Judy's doing? Yeah. So she said that... um, like the bitumen, the, one of the main problems about it is that it sinks when it spills, which is not normal oil behavior. Um, and that is connected to what I'm doing because wild rice is an aquatic plant. So um, in the case of a spill, it would sink and potentially remain at the bottom of a waterway. And so then like future plants growing there would have to deal with it. So tell me how this fits into your plans post-graduation? I'm still in the process of applying to colleges, but I'm definitely looking at uh, schools with environmental programs. Um, Possibly environmental engineering is what I'm leaning toward right now. I'm definitely a big STEM nerd, so. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Uh, What work do you want to do at your school or in your community moving forward? Well, right now, I think just getting more people involved, because I feel like a lot of people um, care about climate, but don't quite know how to start. Um, So if I can just help people find a community and find their sort of niche in the movement, because we all have like different roles, different jobs, um, that would be great. And that was something that COP really, uh, really showed to me was like, there are so many different jobs that need to be played. And I want to help people find those jobs. I'm curious what gave you the extra push, because to your to your point, I mean, you could have just been one of those who cared about the environment, but didn't do much. Right. But you are doing all this research and hoping to make such a big difference in all our futures. What gives you that motivation? For me, it's always just been the obvious choice. I was just like, why would I not on an issue that's so big and affecting 
so many people and it's going to affect my future. Why would I not give it all I can? Well, you're doing a great job thus far. That is Katie Stab, a senior at Oak Park River Forest High School. We appreciate you so much, Katie. Thanks for making the time. Thank you so much.